Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and 20 through 25. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall lo love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part five of our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, the series is called Gospel Completes Law. And so far we had a message which was first and that talked about the identity of God before the commandments, which is that he is the God, he is the Lord who you know, redeemed his people out of enslavement out of, um, from Pharaoh, and then, then the commands unfurl. And we've so far gone to three of them. So, you know, we have this first identity of God and who he is and how he says, I'm your redeemer. This is who I am. Please remember who I am. And then this, and then now, then he gives us the commandments. And so far we've had three commandments. We've covered, you shall have no other gods before me, and this isn't just to say that only Yahweh, Yahweh comes in the flesh um, to be our Redeemer. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is Yahweh, right? Um, and it's not just to say that this is the only God you're supposed to have, but you are to have no other gods before me. You can't have anything else which competes. That's really what it's talking about. Um, it isn't just that this is the one God. There can't be anything even in second place. There can't be anything before my face. That's what he's talking about. And so many of the commandments really go back to that one commandment. And I want to get at that today. Now, number two is don't make any images and bow down to these images. And especially don't make any images, false images about him. All right? And so you're calling this false image God, but really you're, you have some other image that you may try to make him into, which isn't really him. So that's the second commandment. And the last one, it says, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. And I talked a lot about how 
Out of the overflow of our heart, we tend to say lots of foolish and bad things, including about God. Now, all three of these commandments. So what I want to do today is um, essentially I want to just take like a time out from looking at each of the commandments. This is just the very next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when, I, when you look at all these commandments, they all really just have one profound emphasis. And it goes back to the first commandment. And again, God's proclamation that I'm your redeemer. I'm calling you into a profound relationship with me so that you could be loved and cherished by me. And your life can go well. That's what it's about. And so I've entitled this message. So all three of these first commandments, really, they're all the same. Make God the center of your life. Make God your life. And, um, and I want to get into this message and, uh, in, in three parts as I usually do. But that's really the key point of these first three commandments. And I want to stop for a moment. All, for, all three of these commandments in one way or another is saying, know your God, know that he's redeemer, and love him more than anything. Right? More than anything. So part one. Love and worship and the central altar of your life. I've talked about the altar of your life, and I want to get, get, come back to this issue because that's what we're talking about here. Love and worship and the central altar of your life. Part two, the surprising goodness of the Lord's jealousy. I want to talk a little bit about this thing that God is jealous, right? And why he's jealous. And, um, and then I want to close with reflection Love more than you ever imagined you are, okay? That's what we're talking about here. You are loved more than you ever imagined you are or maybe even ever thought you could be. So um, let's get into part one. Love and worship in the central altar of your life. Now, Deuteronomy 6, it's not hard to understand what, what was read. But I want to emphasize this. So I don't know if you know this. Uh, this is verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh is one. It's famous, all throughout Israel history, they call this the Shema. And it's like there's, they like to emphasize there's one God, all right? But actually, it's the next verse, which I actually think is more important. And this is when um, there's a discourse. When Jesus is in his ministry, some, some of the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees come up to him and say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, this is the answer. And he's quoting this next verse. Verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And then it goes on, and then that's, and then, you know, then they're really impressed. And really, he's just quoting this passage. And this is the one commandment. Now, so far, here's what I really want to say to you. All these first three commandments, know the gods before me, don't make any, like, images, and then start to worship this image, and don't speak of God in some vain, and some, some profane way, so all these, all these three commandments really all kind of boil down to this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, if you don't think this is that important, it goes on. You're supposed to take this word. Now, it's interesting. In the history of Israel, they tended to take this word, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's the part that they have emphasized and then told to their children and their children's children and then they put up on their walls and everywhere and it's emphasized again and again and again. That's the part that they emphasize. But I actually think they're wrong. The part they're supposed to emphasize is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And 
God says, put it everywhere. You should talk about them when you're at the dinner table. It should be on your walls. The, the Jews had these things where they would put Bible verses in, um, in, in little boxes, and then they would actually wear them. They'd actually wear them on their body so that, you know, if they touched it, and they go, oh, there, there, there's that verse. And so that's what he means. And so this, they, they would take this quite literally. My father had this practice that in the morning, um, you know, when he, you know, when he's retired now, he's elderly, he's retired now, but when he, he, he would, uh, while eating breakfast, he would have his devotionals. And then over the, all the verses in the devotionals, he would take the verse that was, he thought that the Lord was really trying to emphasize him to that day. And he would scribble it down on a little piece of paper, and then he would shove it in his pocket. And then when he would walk around through that day, and anytime he put his hand in his pocket and he'd feel that piece of paper, he would remember that word. And said, this is God's word to me today. So it's, this is a kind of emphasis that God is trying to do. And especially this particular command, you shall love the Lord your God. And it should, I mean, literally, my parents are wanting, I mean, we have Bible verses. <laughs> I grew up with Bible verses all around our house. I, I, I don't, my wife and I don't do that so much. Maybe we should, okay? And, and if you want to put a Bible verse on your, this is a good one. This Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And now it's funny because we're a gospel preaching church. And in a gospel preaching church, the emphasis is not on what you're supposed to do. A lot of people always think that Christianity is religion, and religion is what you're supposed to do for God, what you're supposed to do in practicing your religion. Because that's how, how all the religions of the world operate. It's what you're supposed to do. This is how you make yourself a good person and make yourself worthy for the heavens or something like this. But in, in a gospel-centered church, the emphasis is always not on what you do, always the weight is on what he has done for us. <laughs> and so then you get to verse 20. So here it is. You want to know what verse 20? When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of all these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that Yahweh our God has commanded you? It's the things that we're supposed to do. And then this is what you're supposed to say to your son. So it's like parenting advice for the generations. And this is what you're supposed to say. Well, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And you know what this is? This is the gospel of the Old Testament. This is what it is. We're in the world, and in the world, we were crushed. And there is some power above us, and he owned us. And we were nothing. And the Lord, for some reason, <laughs> he picked us and he loved us. And so there's, a, there's this word of grace. Now, I want to well, start with this. Your whole life, this is what you have to have at the center of your heart. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. And I've asked it before, and I'm going to ask it again, because it's important for today. What is it at the central altar of your heart? You know, your heart is not just something that's beating. Your heart is like a temple. And, it, and you know, in the, the, in the temple, there's the places where, you know, lesser things happen. There's like, when, the, when there was a temple, there was a, this outer court, and anybody can go there and some business. And then there was an inner court, only God's people can go there. And then there's another court, only the priest could go there. And in the center of the center was God. And they called this place the Holy of Holies and nobody could go in there except the high priest and only then, only one time a year. Your life is actually something like this. There's places into your heart, lots of people can come. You know that? 
And then there's a place in your heart only your friends can come. And then there's a place in your heart very, very few people can come. Um, occasionally, it's such an important place and maybe even a painful place, you might only invite your pastor in there. Something that you're so ashamed of. And then in the center is what you worship. <laughs> it's what you love. Worship is not primarily religion. It's what you love the most. It's where your life is being drawn out of. And I want to start by saying this to you. In theory, if you believe in Jesus, at the central altar of your life should be Jesus. <laughs> it should be this God. He should be the place that you draw love from and that you love. Now, when, you, when we say that he's at the central um, altar and then you love him, which is you worship him above all things, and there's no such thing as even second place. Like You're like, Jesus, there isn't a second place because there's not a third or a fourth place. He's so central. Uh, you, can't, you can't even put anything else there. There's only Jesus. And in theory, this is how all Christians are supposed to be, but you, you and I know that in reality, that is often not the case, right? And especially in a city like ours, intensely worldly city, lots of goods in the world, and we're so, you've got to work hard, just fight through this traffic, got to pay for this rent, Got, and then after like work's over, I got to take my kid to this lesson. And then, you know, you, you, you barely have any energy left for your spouse or for your girlfriend or for your friend <laughs> even. And uh, at the end of the day, and then, you know, you're supposed to have love for God and a prayer life and be talking to him. And he's supposed to be this person you cherish. But there's like barely any, any even energy left over. And yet... Um, I want to ask you this question. For most of us, so I'm just, I want to just give you a description. As a pastor for many years, this is the, what the Christians are like. Okay, this is what the Christians in our city are like. I'm not even talking about the non-Christians. This totally describes the non-Christians, most of them anyway, but I would say this is pretty much describes Christians. This is what your life is like. There's your work, or for, you know, for those of you who are still in school, there's your school, and then you get your grades and all the stuff that you got to do to be successful there. Okay? And then if you're married, there's your wife. If you're, you know, if you're dating somebody, your girlfriend. If you're not dating somebody you badly want, there's, like, there's an empty spot, and that's like, you know, like that, that, that spot is big. It's like, for some of you, it's this big, and some of it's like that, that big, okay? And so, you know, you, 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 have, you have work. You have, like, you know, somebody you want to date. You have your friends. You get your really good friends. And then you have, like, your hobbies, so, you know, work, somebody you want to love, you know, you're, you're, you're either in love with, hopefully, you know, you're, you're, you're loving your wife, not somebody else, okay? And then you got your friends, and then you got your hobbies, and then maybe it's food. There's another one. <laughs> For a lot of you, food, food's a big one. So that's, that's actually on the, on, on, the, on the list. It's like when you look at all the things that are really cool that you like in your life that you draw life out of. It's like food is in there, okay? Some of you, maybe it's music is in there. And then, you know, at the end of the, the, the list, it, the, the God is in there. That's what it's like. So God is like one of the checkboxes of the many, many things that make up your life. But he's not, if you're really honest, 
He's not always in the middle, really. And he's not at the central altar, is he? And if you love him, and this is the question I want to ask you, and this is not an easy question. Do you really love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? Do you? Do you? If you're really honest with yourself, do you? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but that's what God's word today is asking. (laughs) You look at all these commandments. We looked at three commandments. All three commandments, in one way or another, you know what? They're all asking the same question. They're basically, all the Ten Commandments are actually asking that question. Even when we start talking about don't steal, it's actually first a question of whether you love God more than whatever it is you're trying to steal. It's not even just whether you love your neighbor and you're not going to steal from your neighbor. It's actually asking the question whether you love God. Every commandment is asking this question. Do you love God with all your soul and with all your mind? And if we're really honest, it's like I kind of love God with some of my might and with a portion of my soul. And when things are going well, I love God with a small portion of my soul. (laughs) And then when things are really going bad, it's like, you know, he's like the fire extinguisher. In case of fire, get to Jesus. (laughs) But you don't know, you're like, do you really love him? You just, just badly need him. But do you love him? And if you love him, he's not just a portion of your life. He's your life. He's the source of all life. That's really the question. And this is really what I want to emphasize you today. I'm going to just tell you, if you're a Christian, you already know the answer to this, but I want to emphasize this. Do you know that in your life, you can't have a lot of good things and God is one of those good things? It's actually, you have God. And if you don't have all those good things, you still have everything that you need. And if you have all those good things and you don't have God, you're dying. (laughs) You're dying. Temporarily, you can feel really, really good. I got money. I got a girlfriend. I've got good health. (laughs) I'm watching Netflix tonight. And we're going to eat that thing that I'd love to eat. And then we're going to turn on my Spotify channel. And then it's Haagen-Dazs time. Or then it's whiskey time or whatever, okay? And that will last for about a week, and then you're dying. And so I know this is not an easy thing to hear. Can you really believe that if you have God, but you don't have all those other things, you have everything that you need? You have everything that you need. But if you have all those things and you don't have God, you, don't have, you really don't have anything. I know that if you don't believe in Jesus and you're from our city, what I just said sounds completely idiotic. (laughs) It's just stupid talk. But this is what God's word is saying. And you know, when he's commanding you to love him, you know what he's trying to say? He's trying to get you into that place, that profound truth. Just have me. If you have me, you're good. (laughs) You're good. And if your heart can go to that place, and you live your life where God is at the central altar, everything else will, no matter what pain or problem is going on there, you're you're good. Or you will. You will be good no matter what you're afraid of today. You'll be okay. You'll be better than okay. You are better than okay. Now let's go to part two. 
The surprising goodness of the Lord's jealousy. So you know, let, me, let me just, <laughs> let me read that because it's, it's scary, but let me read this, okay? Um, this is, comes from the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Nothing false that you bow down to. And then it says this strange thing. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, Yahweh, am a jealous God. This is chapter verse 5, verse 9. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's the scary part. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Will you love me? If you will, I'll bless you thousands and thousands. And if you don't, well, there'll be a curse just for three generations. That's scary, okay? But the portion is jealousy. I want to say a little something about jealousy. And, uh, and to, in order to get at that, let me give you a couple of illustrations. First one is, um, how much do you want from God? How much do you want from God? I, look, I, I'm not trying to beat on you or be mean to you. Uh, um, and I've been where you're at. <laughs> and honestly, they're, you know, in the bad weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm this. Here's what I want from God, this. <laughs> Here's what I want from God, about this much. Lord, better job, please. Put that in there. Better job, please. Can you get my boss to stop hammering me? <laughs> get my boss to stop hammering me. Can you get my wife to just be nicer to me? <laughs> my, my wife to be nicer to me, you know? Maybe we can have a little bit better time in bed and she won't be so mean to me or something like this, right? You know, we, we, we have like small things. And I'm not saying those are bad. It's fine to ask for a better job. You know, God wants to hear your heart and he wants your cares and your anxieties. But mostly, we have like about one thing we want and it's like, it's about this big. <laughs> it's about this big. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when you ask for something from God and it's about this big, you know why the answer is no? Because he's jealous. That's why. Because his answer is, That's, is that all you want? I'm God. You know what you could ask for me? You know what you could ask for me? You know what I want to give you? You know what I, I want to give you? So why would he want to give you this? So then he, you hold up this cup and you can't, some of you are going like, you're mean. How come you won't give me this? And you know what God does? He flicks this cup away. And, you're like, and then you ask again. Then he flicks it away. And the answer is No. No, because he wants to give you more than what you and I want. We want like this much from God. That's the first thing I want to say. I'm going to give you a second one. Um, I'll give you a second illustration. Now this will, if you're a parent, you might get this. You ever get a child? And um, what do you want to give to your child? Or if you're not a parent, you ever love somebody in a big way and you want to give them something big from yourself? Right? Give them something really big from yourself. And what they want from you is like the latest video game for Christmas. <laughs> That's what they want from you. <laughs> That's what they want. Or they want candy. If daddy gives me candy, he loves me. And if daddy don't give me candy... He's a mean daddy. <laughs> He's a mean daddy. You, but you, you, want to, you want to give your child this. You want to give him 
You want to give your child all your wisdom. <laughs> Not some of your wisdom, all your wisdom. If you have something in your heart where like it was really hard, you, you were young, you were afraid. And then you got to a point in your life when you conquered that fear and now there's this really important part of your life, you have courage. Like that fear is just gone. You want to give that to your kid. You want to give your kid, because you just know that they're going to go in life and there's the, all these things that they're going to be afraid of and, they're like, and, they, and you know that those are the kinds of things that could break their life. You want to give them a courage in their heart that when they go on it, they, they, they see this thing and they just like flick it away like it's nothing. Bunk. Because you now have this area of your heart and you could flick that fear away and you want to give that to your kid. That's what you want to give to your child or to your friend. But they just want candy. That's what they eat. And if, you don't give them, if they don't give you candy, then they, they you're a bad dad. <laughs> or they just, they, they stick it to you. Because really, it's just another version, except now we're not talking about our relationship to God. It's like father-son or father-daughter or friend-to-friend. And they're basically sticking this little cup into you. And since you won't fill the cup, they're mean to you, <laughs> right? They're mean to you. I want to say this is, strange. this is a little strange thing. I want to say this before I get to the, the, this discussion of jealousy. God is a jealous God. Have you ever met anybody who feels very possessive toward you? Maybe you're that way. You're one of these people that like, if, you're, if that person won't give you like a deeper, bigger attention, it upsets you. So you're jealous toward their friends or to something else that they want to do. I actually think that all husbands and wives rightfully should be jealous, not just toward the opposite sex. I mean, like if a wife, okay, husband, okay, Husbands, let me give you a little piece of it. If your wife ever tells you you're paying too much attention to your work and not enough to her, you better listen. Because <laughs> you know what your wife is doing? She is jealous of all the attention you give to work or to fantasy, you know, baseball. Like, you know, I'm sure nobody in the room has done too much fantasy baseball. Okay? <laughs> and um, if your wife says that, she's righteously jealous. Why? She wants more of you. I'm giving you a clue. But usually if a person's like this, it's because they're, they're selfish or they're insecure or they're controlling. And so generally when we hear this thing of a person being jealous, it, it bothers us. You're like, that person must be small but minded. But if God is jealous for you, it can never be because he's insecure or he's small minded. God is the one being that when he says to you, I want you more than anything else, and I want you to want me back. It's only because when he wants you, it's not that he's trying to give you something. He's not trying to give you a thing. You know what he's trying to give you? He's trying to give you courage or wisdom. Really, he's trying to give you all of himself. And he's like, sorry, I can't fit into that cup. I'm an infinite being with infinite goodness. And you know what I'm going to give you? infinite goodness. And if all you want is this, I'm going to have to squash that cup because there's no way I could give you this. I'm jealous of these things because I want to give you me. I want to give you me. Big. 
It's a big and infinite God who wants to give you a big and infinite himself. That's what we're talking about here. So, I want to just say this one more thing. We have all these things, you know, we have this thing and this thing and, you know, know, all these things, right? Let me say something to you. Um, If you get something good and you don't have God, it won't stay good. It won't be enough. And if you put that thing and you put it into the central altar of your life and it has to give you your meaning, it has to give you all your joy and all your hope, you're going to break that thing or it's going to break you. And it will stop being a good thing. It's that person is just completely like, everything has to be about his girlfriend and he's like a slave to his girlfriend and then she either controls him or he has to control her and then he becomes the crazy boyfriend who drives you completely nuts. You know it. You know, you know the guys who, who hit their wives and their girlfriends? They always say it's because they love her. <laughs> That's why. And they love her in a sick way because she has to be everything. And if she can't be enough exactly the way, then he has to punch her. And we're all like this. It's just that you've, hopefully nobody's punching their girlfriend here. So... Let me give you an example. You might have money. Money. So for some of you, money is security. So for some of you, money is pleasure. And for a lot of you, money is your worth. But no matter what, money, you have a sick and messed up relationship to money. Most of us, we do. Because it's in there. And so, but you know what? So money, we're afraid of money and it's bad. But if the Lord is at the center there and he fills up our life, you know what money can be? Now the thing that's good that we're making bad can be good again. Money just becomes money. That's all it is. It's not too important. It actually isn't that important. That's why you can be generous with it. That's why you could use it for sensible things. Not too much, not too little. It just is. And it just has its place because of the exalted God. That's what he wants. So I'm just giving you an example of what it can look like when you love the Lord your God with all your heart. All these other things, which like we're breaking this part. We're breaking the husband-wife part and we're messing up the parenting here and like the money thing is like out of control. And the Lord, when you love the Lord your God and he's your life. And that's why he's jealous. Because he wants to do this for you. Now let me close by giving you some good news, okay? And I've thought about this week. How how can I give you good news this week? All of us have these crimped hearts. Really, our hearts are just cluttered with too much other junk. (laughs) You know, we are the one that says, God, give me the video game. (laughs) Give me a video game. Mean God, video game, come on. Right? And that's it. And God is looking, dumb child. <laughs> just let's just so fix on this stupid video game. Just fixate it on nice house. <laughs> it's like nice house. Getting me into a good college. It's like, don't you know? I have more to give. And we're like this. And so I wanna say this. You know, all these things that are good, we make they're, they're good but we turn them into something bad. 
So that's what sin does. It curses all things and makes the good things bad. Without God, our good things become bad and rotten. And with God, even the painful things, God turns into something that's good. It's crazy. (laughs) And then the good things just become good. And they stay good. And so I'm going to give you the gospel and then I want to give you some kind of things to help you begin to walk into the pocket of uh, letting God be God. And so you could love him. So here's the gospel first. You know what the cross is? It's this focal point in history. And it's a focal point in the history, not just of history, history, but of your life. So up to this point, all the good things in your life, you're making rotten. And you idolize them, and there's all these images, and you want to bow down to them, and all this bad stuff is coming out of your mouth, and sometimes you say good things about God, but mostly you don't. And this is how we are, and we're breaking our lives because all the, of the corruption. But then the cross is when Jesus enters your life, and everything that we make bad lands on him. All our fears and all our guilt and all the things that we want for us, and then he, it dies with him so that he could be at the center of your life and make everything good. And so you can just love him. That's the cross. It's the gospel. I want you to think about that. It's not just one message. There's just demarcating line. And on that side, Jesus is everything. And everything can start becoming good. And on this side, we're screwing it up. If the gospel is just this thing in your life, and like Jesus forgave me my sins, and now I'm going to try to like make my life work out, you're still on the wrong side of the cross. <laughs> but if you're on that side of the cross, you're going to start to discover what it's like when God doesn't have to be jealous at all these things, and he could just start being all in all for you. Okay, you're hearing this? Now, I want to close this way. I want to give you a couple things that will help you go into this space. So um, I don't see her today, so she, she won't have to be personally embarrassed. But uh, I want to tell you a little story about Mindy, our sister Mindy. <laughs> we, um, we had a dinner party this past week. And, um, you know, my wife and I were invited to this dinner party. And I got a chance to meet some of her old friends. Right? And so she has this dear old friend named Deneen. And um, Deneen is a longtime friend of Mindy, even when Mindy barely was following Jesus, or maybe wasn't following Jesus, but Deneen knew Jesus. And she's been in, you know, Mindy's life through, like, the really dark valleys. And Mindy was telling me, this is what Deneen is for me. And I was thinking, how incredible. And when I met her, I was thinking, what an incredible person to have in your life. And um, so Mindy told me this little story, said that Deneen used to tell me, all these things that you're so nervous about, you should cast it at the, at the feet of Jesus. You should, like, put it on him. And this is what Mindy said. She said to me, she goes, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And Deneen heard this, and she said, Mindy, do this. Took her hands and just, do this. There's <laughs> Jesus. Everything that you're like, put whatever is like the thing that's like totally so hard for you or the thing that you badly want, and do this. 
And uh, when she told me this story, I'm, I wanted to start laughing. And I was going, gosh, that's so good. That's so good. Because you know what this is? It's faith. Are you one of these people who are like, well, it's an invisible friend and only stupid people do that? Let me tell you a secret about the spiritual life. When you are a child, you always think you're going to get up and I'm going to be so self-sufficient and I'm not going to do, you know, like you're like a little kid and like, oh, I'm a little kid before God, you know, before my parents. And like, you're just completely free to let your dad be your dad when you're a little kid. But as you grow older, you want to be mature and I'm going to do everything on my own. Let me tell you, in the spiritual life, it's completely the opposite. In the spiritual life, you start off thinking you're running your own life and all the things that, are, that you're worried about, like you have to tackle. But as you really start getting closer to God and he's at the center, you know what you start doing? You just start becoming like a little kid and you just know God has it all. He always has it all. What three-year-old worries about the mortgage? What seven-year-old worries about the SAT? Only a crazy neurotic one. <laughs> and if you're, maybe you're the crazy parent that made your seven-year-old neurotic, then, then, then you're a bad dad, okay? But the normal good father, three-year-old, seven-year-old, go, Daddy, can we get ice cream today? Sure. And that's, that's the good day. So here's what you do. I want to give you um, two songs. So I learned this when I was in ninth grade. I, I learned it for the first time. This is something you just have to learn again and again and again and again. In the ninth grade, I'll just tell you a little something. In the ninth grade, I had to go to a new school twice. <laughs> I went to a big public school after going to this tiny little Christian school, and I was incredibly lonely at the beginning of freshman year. And then we moved in the middle of freshman year, and then I was lonely all over again. It was the first time in my life I ever really prayed. Like, really prayed. Because I was, like, inside, I was so painfully lonely. And I, I you know, I'm not going to go around telling that to other people. I'm so painfully lonely and I'm completely miserable and, like, I, like, basically want to die. It's actually, I would say, there's only a handful of times in my life I actually ever thought about suicide in, in the middle of ninth grade. And when I went to church, and this woman, she, I still remember her, her name's Mrs. Lee. She's like about four foot ten, and she taught us new songs. And, and they were like songs, like before I always heard all these hymns, and it was like blah, 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 the right Christian hymn, hymnal songs. But this song was like this, and I'm going to, okay, so forgive me, but I'm going to sing the song for you. And you know why I want to do this? Because I taught you last week, you need a repentance of words that come out of your mouth that tell you the truth about God because not out of the vain bad things that we say of God. And this, so I got this song when it was, like, nobody sings this song anymore. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's like, like it's kind of like, a, it's like kind of almost a dead praise song. But in ninth grade, it was like everything for me. And I had never sang a song and prayed it and like actually meant it. And you know, and when in the middle of saying the song, you know what I was doing? I was doing this to Jesus. Than this. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. 
And any time that I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. That's the God that wants to be at the center of your life. I'll tell you another song that I sing. So I've been a pastor many years. It's a stressful job. <laughs> it's a hard job. In my heart, I'm doing okay. Then I visit somebody and their life is falling apart. And guess what? That means now, in my heart, I'm not doing okay. It's like, I was doing okay until I visited you and now I found out you're dying. And so now I'm dying. And I get like, what the heck do I have to give to you? And then, of course, then I go through a season and I'm not doing okay. I'm failing as a pastor, I'm failing as a husband, or something bad has happened in my life, and I'm not doing okay. Here's a song I sing. It's an old song. I know why nobody sings it again. <laughs> it's great. It's just scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Mrs. Lee taught me that one too. And ever since I was a teenager, those songs come back to me. And when I got nothing else to say, I sing those songs to God. I don't usually sing that I cast all my cares, I just do it. I, like, I know how to do it now. But steadfast love, oh gosh, I sing that all the time. Hudson was born, 3 a.m., that's the song I sang to him. <laughs> this is your God. This is your God. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, whatever good thing you're preoccupied with, whatever video game is like trying to fill up your heart, he's jealous because he wants to be this for you. Could you believe that? Could you believe that? And then tomorrow repent and then believe it again. And then next week repent and then believe it again. Next year, repent and believe it again. Let's pray. We go through some crazy valley, and um, it seems a little too simple. There is a steadfast love, it's an infinitely great love from a God who loves us. Intensely. Intensely, is that even the right word? If there is a word that means intensely with absolute most intensely, which makes you jealous, that is you. And how could we not see you? We're so dumb and so foolish. We do not see you, and we do so very often do not feel you, and we do not know how to turn to you. But help us, even you help us to do turn to you. 
Help us to love you with more of our heart and soul and strength so that we are on the road that one day we could truly love you with all our heart and soul, our strength. And you would be everything for us. And all the good things in life would be good. And we'd love you all the more. In Jesus' name.